0: Hello, everyone. Good evening, good morning, good afternoon, whenever you're listening to this. This is Molecules and Shit, and this is a science podcast. I'm your co host, P Funk, at P Funkin' Around on Twitter. And I'm joined by your co host, uh, Koki Negra. Doctor? Sir. So, how was your week? Not too bad. Ugh, mine mine sucked.
1: (laughs) Well, I'm sorry to hear that.
0: What happened with yours?
1: Well, I gave a lecture at Georgetown this
0: week, Ooh.
1: and uh, it was actually kind of fun getting back in the classroom, and the class was all women. Um,
0: On purpose, or it just happened to be?
1: No, it's, this program apparently, you know, has a bunch of women in it, um, and there were several women of color. It was it was really nice. There were a couple of black women. Um, mm-hmm. We got a nice, rousing discussion. I didn't think I was going to take the whole 90 minutes. I took the whole 90 <laughs> minutes. So it was it was fun. Okay. It's been a while.
0: Oh, so what was the, the topic? Do you, do you want to share?
1: Uh, we were discussing um, science policy and, you know, who makes it, how it gets made. And they, they basically brought me in to, to get me to talk about, you know, what have I been doing? Um, okay. I count as a science policymaker, I guess, and uh, Mm -hmm. so I talked a little bit about myself. I was able to give out some of my last manuscript, which I I guess the last paper I wrote where I was first author was 2015, Mm -hmm. so nobody's read that, so I was able to, like, force somebody to read it. That's always cool.
0: (laughs) Give them homework, of course.
1: No, there was no homework. Just, uh, you know, I said... I don't want to stand up here and talk about me. So here, read my paper.
0: (laughs) Mm. You should have talked about you.
1: Well, I had to, I mean, I really had to not really talk about you, but what your, your experience has been. So I told him about, you know, having been on the Hill as a AAAS a s fellow and working in a senator's office and mm-hmm. teaching and you know so that sort of stuff because they're they're the type of people who are going to want to work in maybe a senator's office and do science policy with them so oh okay it was interesting
0: all right i mean did you did any of them stand out i mean
1: well, there's always somebody who stands out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so we but we had a lot of discussion about Theranos, the now bankrupt lab.
0: Oh, what's wait, what's Theranos?
1: Oh, we've never talked about Theranos. We need to do a whole show on Theranos.
0: Ooh, okay. <laughs> wait, wait. Just broad strokes what happened. Um, so Theranos was a
1: um Basically, a company that produces uh, laboratory testing platforms. Okay. So what happened is there's this woman. Her name is Elizabeth. I won't even say her last name because I can't stand her. Wow. Um, she went around pretending to do a good uh, – who's the, the guy at, at Apple? Steve Jobs. Jobs, uh So she would even dress like Steve Jobs and, you know, go out and she raised all this capital. And her her spiel was we're going to be able to do all the laboratory tests you need from a finger stick of blood. And it's going to be cheaper than everything. And it's going to be great. And she got, you know, former secretaries of state like George Schultz and Henry Kissinger to buy into this and get their friends to buy into it. Ooh. She was worth a couple of billion dollars and it was all horseshit. shit.
0: So wait, when she did these little Ted talks, she would say, we're going to be able to do this and this with a finger stick of blood. And we're going to have to be able to do it this fast. And none of those people had a science buddy who was just like, that don't sound right.
1: Well, the minute I heard it, I knew it wouldn't work. Like not even It took me a while to look it up. It was the minute I heard the spiel. I'm like, no, she can't do that. If you've ever been on on the underside of one of these chemical analyzers, you know you can't do it with a drop of blood. (laughs) And then she was claiming that one drop of blood, her technology was so wonderful that she could do all kinds of tests. So as a rule, like say, I, I used to work in a chemistry laboratory. Mm-hmm. So you get a certain amount of the blood and it would go into different wells and you could get maybe cholesterol and, um, your glucose and, um, you know, maybe five or 10 other tests, but you would need half a tube of blood for that. Okay. She was claiming you could do all the chemistry tests, the hematology tests, everything from one drop of blood. Right. And even if you think about it like an engineer would, you can't get the drop of blood into the, the well where the testing is going to take place one drop. Uh, basically, it's like a like a, a straw. If there's only one drop in the bottom of your glass, no matter how you suck on that straw, you're not going to get it to your mouth. Right. And anybody who ever looked at a, a lab that looked at an analyzer knew this wouldn't work.
0: So this wasn't even like a science, like... Okie doke. She was just logistically talking about impossibilities.
1: Yes, but she had people working for her, but she couldn't have had a single med tech because any med tech would have walked in and went, Yeah, that's not going to work.
0: Mm, okay, see, yeah, we definitely have to have a whole show about that. Yeah, because I, I we need, need to a see. Whole show how... about it because not only did she screw up herself, the people who worked for
1: her, all her investors, got herself um charged with fraud, got herself kicked out of clinical laboratories for years. Um, she put into like the regulatory environment that she could do this stuff so cheap that they started cutting the reimbursement for real labs.
0: Yeah. See. Okay. We gotta we'll, talk about. That. Yeah, we'll talk about that. But just just to put out there, from just from what you've told me, I'm gonna say that ain't even her fault. That's on us. <laughs> I mean, I could go out on you know the curb right now and say I've you know found the secret to cold fusion. But if everyone believes me and starts making policy around it and starts investing billions of dollars in me, that's their fault. I'm sorry. Well,
1: but those are two different things. So the, the, the cost, we're always trying to cut costs in the government. Mm-hmm. And so she managed to convince people that, you know, this was going to be so cheap. And so they thought, well, in a couple of years, you know, it's all going to be done this way anyhow. So let's go ahead and pass this bill that cuts the cost.
0: Yeah, but if you do, my point is, if you do all those things based on someone's TED Talk with no homework done, no background research, no follow-up, no corroboration, that's, I'm going to say that's on you.
1: Um, yeah, perhaps, but you also have to be, well, it's a long story.
0: Mm, Okay. And
1: this is what I do for a living. So I can, I can tell you that it's not that easy. Mm. Um. And we, we really should talk about it. It will be a little bit involved, but I think, you know, it will, it will actually help people who have not been involved in policymaking okay. and mm. <laughs> see how much crap goes into it. But that's another show.
0: Okay. Cuckoo. I have already taken a note. <laughs> you said Theranos Labs?
1: Theranos. T-H. Oh,
0: th. I was thinking yeah. T-H. Okay. All right. Well, my week was nowhere near as exciting i sat behind a desk doing the same thing I've been doing for the last few weeks, waiting for training so that I can actually do something different. So bored out of my well, mind. As mostly, long
1: as they're paying you, that's good.
0: <laughs> yeah. I'm, even, even compensated boredom is still boredom, unfortunately. You know? So I'm just hoping to eventually branch out and be able to do a, a variety of things rather than just the same thing over and over and over again. And also the weather is depressing me because... Not only is it just, like, cloudy all the time, but now I don't know what to wear when I leave because it's, like, 60 in the morning, 88 by the afternoon, back to 60 at, like, 2 p.m. and you
1: know. Yeah, like, so it's, a DC, it's D.C. fall. I mean.
0: D.C. was not always like that in the fall. There's some wild uh, shit. I
1: don't know. In October. Except the cloudiness. This
0: is pretty much fall. <laughs> but October? Mm. Yeah. 88 in October? yeah but it was just uh two days ago it was 88 mm-hmm. it was some wild shit okay yeah
1: it's hard to put your clothes away that's for sure
0: yes Ugh. i just ugh. i just want to i don't want to bring out my, my comfy sweaters i can't even do that because i'll just be sweaty <laughs> makes me makes me depressed this is why i like seasons so i don't have to wear the same shit all year
1: yeah i agree with you my fall clothes are really gorgeous too so
0: yeah see you can't really stun on these you can't really stun on these fools. I don't know. <laughs>
1: Hey, I got a, a Christmas wedding coming up, so I'm ready to wear. Wait, real
0: you have cool another clothes. wedding? Yes. <laughs> wait, who is it this time?
1: My daughter in law's brother is getting married.
0: Your daughter in law's brother yes. would make him your.
1: There's no word for that. <laughs> <laughs> so, wait, why? There's no How word
0: did you for get that. roped into this? Hmm? How'd you get roped into this then?
1: It, it's actually not roped in. It's okay with me, but it's going to be another one of those four-day uh, Desi weddings. So mm, I
0: need three or God. four outfits.
1: It, but it's in Texas, so I hope it's cold enough for the stuff I plan to wear.
0: Okay, yeah, I'm going to say you got roped into that.
1: Nah, nah uh, it's cool because uh, the baby will be here by then, and I'll be able to go play grandma.
0: Okay, because a destination, a four-day destination wedding, it, it, that's a lot.
1: In Texas. <laughs> that's
0: the <worst>. Ugh. You, <laughs> Wouldn't be me, is all I'll say. Would not be me. I, that It would have to be either one of my siblings or... Yeah, or my kid. That's the only reason you're going to give me to go to Texas for anything. Mm. Well, mm. you wait. A grandchild might make you do that. Yeah, a grandchild. That Well, i about going to get to see the baby, so
1: that'll be fine.
0: Mm. Ugh, best of luck to you. <laughs> uh, but anyway, this is not a wedding recap travel show this is a science show so we got some articles to go over so i saw this one and i don't know maybe you can provide some extra insight maybe this is normal <laughs> i don't i don't know i'm just a i'm just a lowly civil servant myself but uh, this this seemed a little extraordinary but uh the epa excluded its own top science officials when it rewrote its rules on scientific studies. Yeah. That so they said the great. scientists weren't invited when they rewrote the sciencing rules. Is mm-hmm. that right?
1: Yeah, that's pretty much it.
0: Is is that normal?
1: Well, I've never worked with the EPA. Okay. Um that is not normal at the FDA. Mm-hmm. That is not normal at the CDC. Mm-hmm. That is not normal at cms okay the staff is uh, they participate in all of these things and usually they're not written from the top down mm-hmm. so i mean my my favorite is the science the science advisor is like well i'm the point of contact but i haven't seen it
0: yeah let's, let's <laughs> like, see what, how
1: do you do that
0: let's see what they actually said so uh when former epa administrator scott pruitt that douche launched an effort to limit what kinds of scientific studies could be used to protect public health, he left out some key experts, the Environmental Protection Agency's own Office of the Science Advisor, according to an email exchange obtained by the Washington Post. Tom Sinks, the director of the office, said in an April 24 email that even though OSA and I have not participated in the development of this document and I just this moment obtained it, have have yet to read it, I am listed as the point of contact. Yeah. And then he added, the proposal likely touches upon three aspects of OSA work, public access to EPA-funded research, human subjects research protection, and scientific integrity, all of which fall under his area of responsibility. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the document basically uh, lays out the ground rules for how the EPA is going to use uh, how it's going to fund research, how it's going to use research that involves human subjects and overall scientific integrity, and he was not invited to contribute to any of those
1: things. Is it how they're going to fund it or that the public has access to the research
0: that they're already funding? Mm, let's see. Uh, oh, yeah, you're right. Public access to EPA funded research. So that yes, the research that they pay for, what the public gets to see, that's the rules that govern that. Right. And that's supposed to go under OSA, the office of the science advisor, and the science advisor was not in the room.
1: Yeah. And it's not unusual for the science advisor maybe not to be in the room. Some of these things are written at sort of a lower level.
0: Right. Like you said, so it's from the bottom up, not policy, the top down, though.
1: Yeah. Well, when we do policy where I work, I may be in the room and not my boss. Mm-hmm. But he damn sure knows about it.
0: Right. And he will mm-hmm. sign off on it before it goes above him.
1: Yeah, Exactly.
0: It doesn't come from the top down like, oh, this is the thing that you did. Like, what? <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's that's like if you work in, you know, the State Department and you're like Deputy Secretary of State for, you know, East Asia and then something comes from the, you know, the the Secretary of State above you. And it's like, oh, thanks for this document you wrote. It's like, wait, what now? It's mm-hmm. like, yeah, I got this from the Africa office. They said, <laughs> like, wait, 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 wait a minute. That's yeah. I, I really? do that. <laughs> so yeah that that was some wild shit
1: well there there's one thing in it that's interesting, mm-hmm. um, like okay, all of this is just wrong mm-hmm. but, but the one thing that's that's interesting is that what they're what they're trying to get to is public access for this funded research, but what we know about some things now I don't know what EPA does, but at CDC and sometimes the FDA, some of this funded research may involve, you know, human human studies. Mm-hmm. So we took uh, tissue from this tumor that was taken out, and we did studies on that. And you know, we got money to do that from from NIH or whatever. And now the public wants to see all the data. Well, sometimes right. the data might have some somebody's identifiable information. So what we don't want to see is another Henrietta Lacks. right? So there is always going to be a, a push and pull for what the public has the right to see and what shouldn't be seen by the public.
0: Right. And so let's let's talk about the actual rule. Uh, so the proposed rule dubbed the Strengthening Transparency in Regulatory Science has been ranked as one of the Conservatives' top priorities for years. So basically, it allows the EPA to consider only studies for which the underlying data is publicly available and can be reproduced by other researchers. Such restrictions could alter how the agency protects Americans from toxic chemicals, air pollution, radiation, and other health risks. So essentially what the rule supposedly does is that uh, the EPA will not look at any studies as far as advising people on you know threats and risks, unless the all the data is publicly available,
1: yeah, so, and that involves so it seems innocuous. Pe- people's names, you know, mm-hmm. the disease they may have gotten from you know being downwind of Love Canal or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's that's a little bit of an issue.
0: So if we were to give the most uh, like generous reading of this is that is there any like um, credence to that like should the data be more publicly available is there a way to make the data publicly available without you know threatening people's privacy
1: I don't know um mm. because you know you you don't necessarily know what's in a study mm. I've seen I don't do ep- epidemiology so I don't know how much information is in there mm. um, but I've seen sort of like genetic studies where They were looking for a certain kind of uh, gene variant, and they went to specific populations. Mm -hmm. This is done fairly often with the Amish,
0: for example,
1: Mm -hmm. because they tend not to marry out. Like, genetic studies in the United States are are pretty bad because we're all a mix of something. Oh, okay, um, that's kind of why you see so many studies in Ashkenazi Jews. They've had a long period where they stayed within their own ethnic group mm-hmm. um that's why they use the Amish or whatever so it's pretty easy um I've been to to all day workshop studies and sort of things like that where They tell you, you know, here is the place where we set up and people came in and it would be very easy for you to find out who showed up.
0: Uh... If you go to a little
1: small place in in uh, Amish country, Mm -hmm. you can you can figure out who they tested. Mm -hmm. And that's not something that the public really needs to know. Mm -hmm. Their personal business, their personal health information is not something that you need to know just because you pay taxes.
0: And that may also be in the data for epidemiological studies, possibly, you mean? Uh Uh-huh. okay.
1: You know, so I think they have to—this has to be a little bit more—they have to be a a little more stringent on what they mean by public access to something.
0: Okay, so just a— Just a quick question on um, studies. I know we did a show on studies, but I'm trying to remember. If, for example, there was a um, epidemiological study and it was on uh, like chlamydia, Mm -hmm. you know, something like that, would an actual person's name be attached in there or would they just be subjects such and such? Like how much of that data is retained in the actual, you know, data?
1: Well, probably in the data, there might be some identifying information Mm. that's not what should get published but what they're asking for here is basically the data Mm. i mean if you happen to get um a disease uh, an infection that you have to notify the public health service Uh so you know a lot of stis are you have to notify Uh uh-huh your name is already there, so you, you don't really want that everywhere. Like, say yeah. you got chlamydia in college, got a shot, it's gone, you mm-hmm. know, but it was years ago. You don't want that to pop up.
0: Right. And that's what Nobody they're saying. Nobody wants it, to see that. And so, so here's the, the, counter, um, the counterpoint. So 69 prominent scientific, medical, and academic organizations, including the American Association for the Advancement of Science, called on the EPA to withdraw the proposed rule. They said it would exclude reputable studies founded on epidemiological data that include proprietary information or confidential information from patients participating in private sector research. So here's the quote. Contrary to the stated purpose of the rule, the rule would result in the exclusion of valid and important scientific findings. Uh, Rush D. Holt, a former congressman and former physics professor who is now the CEO of the American Association for the Advancement of Science, said in his testimony. Uh, he said the rule was not about transparency or sound science, and that the title was an insidious dodge. So what he's saying is that there are um, a lot of studies that are that have proprietary data or proprietary methodology that may have some um, important information about uh, current risks, uh, current threats to the public. And the EPA should consider those. But this rule would say, well, we can't look at that because the data is not public. Uh-huh. Mm hmm. Mm hmm.
1: And you know, Rush is—I is, know him. Um, he's a serious guy. This is this is not. This is really serious when it comes to science. So, um, what's going on? I think at EPA, and EPA has been a target for conservatives for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Mostly because if you can't just pollute willy nilly, you can't make as much money. Right. And that's really what it all boils down to. So, what's been going on in science? I would say for at least the last five years, is the cry from the right is that you can't reproduce these studies. And we've talked about this before um, when we talked about, I think it was children. They did some studies in the in the 80s, and then they can't reproduce those studies with kids now. Well, kids now are really different from kids in the 80s. Yes. You know, so it. That, that's been a cry for a long time. And that's the same thing that Peter Wood, this conservative guy, comes up with. We, we can't reproduce the science.
0: Well, I see. See, that's like he said, it's an, an, an insidious dodge because it's one thing to say, um, well, we can't reproduce that study, meaning we've tried and our data does not line up with yours. And it's another thing to say, well, we can't do your exact study because you didn't tell us all the ways you did it. And they're saying it's the same thing and, it, and it's not. I mean, I, I presume that if uh, another lab said, hey, we want to, we read your study and we want to reproduce your results, they would have some methodology to get them that in a private manner. You know, some, um, They
1: could, but more often than not, the methodology is in the, the paper that you, that you, um, that you submit so Mm -hmm. unless there there is some reason why you shouldn't and there i think we talked about this at some point there are some studies that when you do them it becomes clear that this could be used as a biological weapon Mm -hmm. and so studies like that they may pull out a few things so that some crazy person couldn't reproduce this right um but as a rule, everything you need to do the study is in the paper.
0: So, in in essence, it is reproducible. It's just yes. that they, yeah, it's just that they're saying that well, not anybody could do it because you know they can't get the data or they can't pull it off the internet.
1: Right. That's part of it. And also, you know, obviously, if you're doing a study in a specific population, um, maybe you can't go back to that population. Mm. Maybe you can't get the samples that I got. Mm. Um, that's that's much more difficult research than I'm used to. I mean, I work on bacteria, right? And the only thing that that can stop, which has happened to me, is you. When somebody produces, you ask them, "Can I have your strain?" They're supposed to give it to you if it's published. Mm-hmm. They don't. It doesn't have to be free. They can sell it to you, right? But you, they, should they're be supposed to, to let it go. Yeah. And I've actually had somebody tell me no. Mm-hmm. You can't have it, which is not supposed to happen.
0: Mm-hmm. And you respected his wishes and never bothered him about it again.
1: Uh, no, I went. It was a it was a woman, and I went over her head, and her boss gave it to me. Oh, he's okay. like, yeah, I'll send it right out.
0: <laughs> and I'm sure y'all are the best of friends now. after that. I snabu. haven't seen
1: her in years. She apologized <laughs> for that. She's like, I don't know why I was such a jerk. <laughs> oh,
0: okay, good. All right. <laughs> oh, so so basically, uh, further in the article, they kind of give away what the okie doke is. So. Uh, It says that one area of that that this rule could be uh, that could affect this rule is deals with air pollution regulations that limit the levels of fine particulate matter that can enter the bloodstream and cause lung and heart problems. The link between these particles and health risks comes from several studies. But one of the most important Harvard University's look at pollution in six cities promised the subjects that their extensive personal information would not be shared. So studies like that would be excluded under this rule because uh, in order for Harvard to get the data they needed, they promised the subjects that, hey, we'll we'll keep your information private. So now none of the insights that could be gleaned from that can be used by the EPA.
1: Yeah, because that's what they want. <laughs> they want exactly. F- they that's, they want
0: the okido. that's the Okie That's the Okie do.
1: Yeah, that's the Okie mm. Because you can still get a lot of information without knowing that much about the patients. Mm-hmm. You know, typically when, when I read stuff, it'll say, you know, 40 year old Hispanic male, um, diagnosed with such and such and such. There was a bowel rese- resection and, you know, from those cells, we were able to blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. Well, when you, when you go into a study, you provide them with a lot more information than that. Yeah. Um, there's no reason why the EPA needs that. <laughs> mm. But, you know, the EPA is extremely political. People either love it or they hate it. And when you have people who are running it who don't think it should exist, yep. you're going to have stuff like this.
0: Yeah, I mean, they basically rendered it um, semi-toothless. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, like, uh, they go on further in the article. There's also some radiation studies that involve, um, you know, privacy matters, and those are now potentially will not be considered in future recommendations by the EPA because of this privacy rule.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, elections have consequences.
0: Yeah. So, uh, yeah, hopefully uh, everyone's registered to vote, after, especially after this week. Uh, it's, um, yeah. So uh, hope I hope everyone in listening is registered to vote and will do so.
1: And vote like you have some sense.
0: <laughs> yes please do not write I don't in want to hear some one more. Well, fourth party same, con- so,
1: same coin and, yeah, I,
0: I, I feel like all those people should be faded on site but that, I know that's an out that's an out there you know position I, I just feel like if you ever say again but they're all the same you, you should be faded on site
1: <laughs> just... I'm still looking for Susan Sarandon so.
0: oh she's out there mm-hmm.
1: yeah but she hasn't been by my way Mm. So I'm still looking for her. I got some words for her.
0: I'm still waiting for Mark Lamont Hill to get up in this and uh, you know, put in his two cents. Where you where you at, bruh? Where you uh, at?
1: <laughs> hey, yeah, so know, this is what happens to your executive agencies when Trump is in charge of the government.
0: <laughs> or any imbecile is in charge. Or anyone who doesn't believe in the existence of that agency is in charge.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it's not it's not just Trump. Trump is not a singular threat. This is the threat when people are just don't believe that institutions have a a place. So, but anyway, uh, there's another article, uh, that I thought was interesting. Um, I think we talked about this uh, a while, while back, way before we even had the podcast, we talked about, you know, quality of life and end of life care. And I think this is back when the Google plus days, I remember we had a discussion and it got kind of heated because people have different, you know, ideas about what that looks like. But I saw this uh, article that said health-related quality of life is overlooked in cancer drug studies. So, and Well, that makes
1: sense. Yes. uh, (laughs) Yeah, it does. It's not cool, but it makes sense.
0: Right. So a McMaster University-led review and analysis of randomized clinical trials is questioning whether interventions which prolong progression-free survival in cancer patients improve their health-related quality of life. The systematic review and quantitative analysis of 52 articles reporting on 38 randomized clinical trials involving 13,979 cancer patients across 12 cancer types revealed no significant association between survival when the disease is not getting worse or progression-free survival and health-related quality of life. So... Your thoughts.
1: Um okay, so what you have to understand is there are two different things going on. Mm-hmm. When you first do a trial, you're looking for does the drug work? Right. You're not looking for how happy is the patient or how healthy is the patient. You're just looking for does the drug Kill the cancer, stop the cancer. Right. So those are two different things. And, you know, if you're looking at it from the patient's side, of course, it's more important to know what the quality of life is like. Yeah. But if you're looking at it from the pharmacology side, you need to know if your drug works. Yes. And so, again, these are lots of things that there are always two sides to the story. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this 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 study tells you, you know, how are we going to look at this, whether or not this drug is actually worth it. And, you know, we've seen people, I think, who who do this. They're they're taking the drugs and they, you can hold the cancer at bay, but they're miserable. Yeah. And at some point they just say, I don't want to do this anymore. Right. And they stop taking the drug. The cancer comes back and they die. Um, you know, I, I think the, the person that most people will remember is John Edwards' wife. Mm-hmm. That's what she did. She was taking something to keep, I think she had uh, metastatic breast cancer. I think that's what it was. Right. And so she was on this drug for years and, and she finally said, you know, I, I just, I don't want to do it anymore. She got off the drug, you know, she was dead like 12 weeks later. Um, so clearly her quality of life had diminished to the point where she was not willing to fight it mm. and that's that happens you know so you can keep somebody alive
0: but right. and that's that's kind of the, cause I, the one the only reason this caught my eye is because it does like raise kind of what the ethical dilemma like where does that ethical decision lie does that lie with the doctor does that lie with the next of kin does that lie with the patient because all those people are kind of stakeholders in whether or not a person takes a certain course of treatment
1: um yes and no okay so these are clinical studies Mm -hmm. not ever in your life do you have to agree to enter one okay yes Okay. Mm -hmm. So you can say, no, I don't want to do any of the research. And the question becomes moot for that. Mm -hmm. But if you go into the study, this was your choice. It's also your choice to leave it whenever you get ready. But, you know, as, as you noted, there are a bunch of stakeholders. There's the, the drug company who wants to know, does this work? There's the, the physician who wants the patient to live as long as possible. There are the, there's the patient who wants the quality of life. There are their relatives who want them to live and be happy. So everybody has a stake in this, just as you said. But, you know, the decision has to be made by Everybody.
0: So, for instance, let's say there's a, there's a drug that's being tested. Um, someone, you know, they, they have cancer and they want to enter the drug trial in hopes that it's going to, you know, treat their cancer or improve their their survivability. And it turns out that, yes, the drug does reverse the cancer and it also destroys their immune system. I mean...
1: That's not unusual, actually.
0: <laughs> yeah. So, I, I mean, I, I guess I think that might be what they're, that's what I thought they were, might be getting at. It's like, yes, I guess in the, in the data, it did work, but you actually brought this person closer to death in a
1: sense. Well, but have you ever watched a drug commercial? They tell you there's a million side effects. Of course, if you're taking a strong drug mm-hmm. for something, it's going to affect something else. Mm-hmm. but here here's the bottom line um you can always do do something with your immune system you might have to get a bone marrow transplant or something like that you can maybe fix that later but if the cancer is killing you you have to make a decision do i want to try to keep this cancer at bay mm-hmm. or am i ready to go
0: mm-hmm. it's also you it's funny you mentioned the drug commercials because one thing that i find like troubling or annoying is that they just kind of like list them like grocery items. Like, and, and some of them are not as some of them are rarer than others, but they're just listed. Like they're all equal.
1: My guess would be that there's a reason for that. Like they have to list them. Hmm. Um, and of course you should not be making your decisions based on the commercial you saw on TV but rather with your primary care for physician. Mm-hmm. But yeah, my guess would be, because I can remember when drug commercials did not have these. So I think there might have been a law that made them do it.
0: I remember when there weren't drug commercials.
1: Yeah, I remember those too. Mm-hmm. Um, I also remember when you could say Listerine kills germs and it didn't. So...
0: Wait, Listerine doesn't kill germs?
1: Well, it might now, but it didn't when they first started saying that.
0: Oh really
1: so i kind of remember when truth and advertising became a thing yeah so i'm not upset that they that they list all of this stuff and you know you would talk to your your physician about it but there's some really strange side effects and even though it says it's rare when three or four million people are on it it doesn't seem rare when it's your dad right or your mom
0: exactly you know? and it, because it i it's not so much because I, I I think they need, I'm worried about transparency. It's more that sometimes for certain populations, it may have a chilling effect where maybe they do need this medication or they should be considering this medication, but they hear, they heard all those side effects on the commercial. Like, well, I don't want that. Well,
1: I, again, I think you have to, this is the kind of thing you need to discuss with your primary care physician. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I'm more worried about the opposite effect, whereas you see it on TV and you're like, I want that. Mm-hmm. Um, I am quite adamant to my parents that when the, any new thing comes out, they don't take it the first year, no matter what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, because now we have post-market research on these drugs. And another commercial here in dc especially we have a lot of ambulance chasers i've never been in a place that was quite like this Mm. where they talk about did you take vioxx we might have a case you know Mm. so what you do is you wait until the drug has been out one or two i I like them to wait two years Mm, and so i can see the post the post market studies and decide okay that's that might be okay, but that's when you start seeing those, it's a rare side effect when you have, when you, have you know, 50,000 people in the clinical trial, but when it goes wide, then mm-hmm. you see what's going on, Yeah, like there was this drug, this drug for weight loss, and you know, it was giving people heart attacks, but they mm-hmm. didn't figure that out until a whole bunch of people started taking it
0: yeah wow, but, I mean, it's but a yeah, there are go ahead I'm just going to say it's actually interesting. There's a parallel between uh, post-market research and drugs and then kind of it's almost the same thing in um, software because people who uh, buy games now there's usually when you buy it within the first week there's all sorts of bugs and issues and this doesn't work and that doesn't work and people are really angry and mad and grr and then two months down the line everything's fixed but they didn't wait till it was fixed. They put it in the market first. They need the money first. I just that's kind of an interesting parallel well
1: actually that's that really does sound interesting, except for when you get a game and you're mad, nobody dies yes <laughs> yeah, so um yeah so that, I've, I've been mm-hmm. I've been really very careful about them um, because usually it's like, oh, this is a new diabetes drug, and then you find out it you know causes you to lose your foot and mm. you know like i just i i Always make them wait. Even the, the new pneumonia shot that came out oh maybe two or three years ago, mm-hmm. the doctor came to my mind, oh, there's a brand new one, and it just came on the market, and we want to give you this one. I'm like, nope, she's not taking that this year. Mm-hmm. So we waited two or three years. The, the post-market stuff was good. Now she can take it.
0: Okay. Just a precautionary measure.
1: Yeah. And I think this wouldn't... Nobody else would do this, but I understand how the fda works and how approval works and what's going to happen afterwards and you know i just rather somebody else be a guinea pig you didn't sign up for this trial you so let's not be part of it
0: right yeah fair enough well off of that somber sober uh, topic um there was some good news this week in the field of science Uh, a lot of nobel prizes were announced and there was one, I want, I don't know if you had any insight on it, but it looked like it was related to uh, microbiology. Um, two immunologists win the 2018 Nobel Prize in Physiology and Medicine. Uh, Thomas Perlman. And let's see who the other one is.
1: Here's a Japanese name.
0: Yeah.
1: Hasuku Honjo?
0: Yes. Hasuku. Ta- Tasuku Honjo. Yeah. yeah Tasuku. Tasuku Honjo. Won the prize for the discovery of cancer therapy that works by harnessing the body's own immune system.
1: Yeah. This is immunotherapy.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, it's not really micro. It is immunology. And I have not followed immunology very well since I haven't had to teach it in a long time. Mm. But um, basically what... They sort of discovered was um, so there. There are a number of white blood cells that are responsible for your immune system. Mm-hmm. One of them is a T cell, and there are lots of different kinds of T cells. Mm-hmm. Um, we talked about T. Everybody knows about the T helper cells that that are um, destroyed when you have HIV infection. Right, um, but. A lot of T-cells, um, that's the executive T-cell, but there are a lot of other T-cells that have different functions, okay. and one of them um, is called the cytotoxic T-cell, T mm-hmm. and they're primarily responsible for targeting infected cells in the body. So let's say you have a virus. Okay. Vi- viruses have to replicate within our cells. So the T cytotoxic cytotoxic T cells basically see the 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 effed up cell and go, this is not right. This one needs to be taken out of circulation and right. they, or
0: destroyed. Don't they? Do they destroy the in, in affected cells? Right.
1: They do, but not you know by themselves. Mm-hmm. Anyway, but so they're basically the first touch to the infected cell. So they have these receptors. And they are able to grab on to the infected cells. So this this is, you know, they're able to do that with, with cancer cells as well. Mm-hmm. This doesn't look right, and we need to take this out of circulation. Mm. Um, so what they worked on um, is one of these receptors. And they were able to show that this is kind of how this worked. And you know, when you get the Nobel Prize, it's for years and years and years of work. Yeah. So they were working on this stuff in the 1990s. I was still in graduate school then. Wow. So you know, it's very rarely do you get one of the science prizes for some something that's really interesting and just happened in the last five years. Mm. So it, you have to tell a whole story. <laughs>
0: And you have, they have to see what impact that research has had on the community at large. And, right, yeah. right, right. I have to say, one of the most fascinating things about biology that I still don't quite grasp or understand is how you have these relatively simple organisms carrying out these complex, ta- complex tasks and they have no executive function. Like, there's no brain in the T cell that says, that's not right. This thing is not like that one.
1: Well that's what it doesn't the even receptor have a
0: bird does. like, it doesn't even have like a bird brain like how does it yeah, but
1: that's what the receptor does tells
0: tells it that so it's just like a sensor yeah but what is it sensing?
1: It's sensing so receptors are always proteins and they're looking for proteins on other cells mm-hmm. If they match, great if they don't match, hey it's not good
0: this ah, guy gotta go. okay so basically it's just a protein that likes proteins like it and if there's a protein that's not like it Then it destroys.
1: Yeah, that sounds about right. Um, It's like um, a lock and a key. Mm -hmm. Doesn't fit. There's something wrong.
0: Okay. So it is kind of like an on-off switch,
1: though, essentially. Not necessarily an on-off switch. More like um, how can I more like a lifeguard who's mm. constantly scanning. Mm-hmm. It's not really an on-off switch. It's sort of um, you spend a lot of time just looking and making sure everything's right, like mm. the security guard as you walk around the building and make sure everything's okay. It's it's more like that.
0: Mm. It's still fascinating.
1: Oh yeah, biology is fascinating. And Immunology difficult. is incredibly fascinating
0: and difficult which is why i didn't take it in college
1: <laughs> uh yeah it's not easy but it it is it's fascinating
0: hmm. okay were there any other nobels uh, you wanted to call out anything you thought that was interesting
1: um not that i can explain i sort of paid okay so the only thing i saw from the nobel prizes this week was uh, aside from this one was the chemistry one and i haven't paid that much of attention to it yet to be able to explain what what it was all about Mm -hmm. i think the big thing that everybody has noticed is that one of the award winners was a woman in physics yes i did see that. that's relatively rare um women overall are relatively rare in the sciences when it comes to the nobel prize
0: so that's still in 2018 still considered a win well she's the (laughs)
1: third so
0: (laughs) okay wow and we've had the i think the nobel
1: prize since 1908 or something like that so
0: well i guess like as you said um you know they have to go back like several decades and so several decades ago that's indication of where we were in terms of women in science
1: yeah, I would say definitely people who, who have been working since the 90s have put in enough work that you might see them pop up. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if you pay attention, at least to my timeline, there are an awful lot of women scientists who are always talking about how difficult it is to remain in the, in, in the environment because of, you know, sexism. Um, mm-hmm. So this is always when someone reaches this pinnacle, it's always a good thing.
0: Okay. Well, one last uh, tidbit then before we get into our last segment. Um, In more CRISPR news, or a.k.a. scientists mutating things against the will of nature, uh, (laughs) tiny rare fruit that tastes like pineapple could hit stores soon thanks to gene editing. Now, gene editing sounds really scary, so I need you to explain that to us.
1: Um, well, it shouldn't be scary, but I can understand why somebody would think it was. Mm -hmm. Um, basically all they're doing is the same kinds of things that have been done in past, like with the flavor saver tomato. You take a gene that is responsible for the tomato rotting and they turned it, Backwards, so that it was much slower, so you could get your tomatoes to market before they rot- got rotten. Okay. Um, in this case, they are using a, a brand new tool, which is CRISPR. That I promise we're going to talk about. Um, mm-hmm. And so the the reason why C- CRISPR is so is everywhere is that you can you can pinpoint the changes that you want to make. And it's fast and it's relatively easy. Mm. More so than, you know, things were 10 years ago or 25 years ago. It used to be if you wanted to mutate something, you'd have to put an antibiotic antibiotic resistance cassette right smack in the middle of it and you get rid of the the activity of the gene but now whatever you have is resistant to antibiotics right um so then they figured out how to make smaller deletions and mutations using other systems and so you could you could pinpoint that that mutation um much more clearly and with with crispr it's even better than that you know you could literally take out four or five DNA basis and make this thing do what you want it to do.
0: Mm. So in this particular instance, uh, they took a, it says a rare fruit could wind up in U S stores in the near future after scientists spliced its DNA. Again, that, that's what, huh. that term just sounds scary uh, to make it hardier and more efficient. It's called the ground cherry and its success could lead to the modification of more rare fruits and vegetables. Uh, found in Central and South America, the ground cherry grows in a husk like a tomatillo, but tastes a bit like pineapple. Occasionally, it's found at farmers markets and known as an orphan crop, a plant that's too finicky for mass production. Uh, so they go on to talk about, you know, how ground cherries are uh, growing in the wild and how they fall off before they're ripe. And, you know, that's why they're
1: called ground cherries.
0: <laughs> right. All the difficult, all the things that make it difficult to harvest and bring to market. And so that's why it's rare. And so now they've uh, using CRISPR, a gene editing tool used to produce low fat pigs and reprogrammed cells for cancer treatments. Uh, by curtailing certain hormones tied to the plants flowering, scientists made the plant more compact and its fruit more abundant. And the mutated ground cherry produced 50% more fruit than the natural version. And they've ramped up the fruits seedy sections increasing its size by 24%. The result is a fruit that grows more easily and often.
1: Um, I'm not, I, I'm not sure why we want bigger seeds. I don't get that.
0: Well, I think the because it is like a, it does when you cut it, it looks like a tomato. So they increased the seed sections. So I think that may contribute to the the tree producing more uh, offspring or more. Um, more seeds so that they can plant more of it and you know basically make more of it, and then yeah, also it makes just, also it makes the fruit bigger too they're gonna have to go back to that, oh, because you think it's too many seeds
1: well, I mean think about it, we want seedless watermelons we want se- we want all kinds of stuff to be seedless, and they just made this more seeds <laughs> well
0: it's like a it's like a tomato, no one's asking for a seedless tomato Maybe because the not, seed but... sections kind of add to the uh you know the I don't know like the mouth feel and kind of like the the taste and texture of the tomato like there's the have outside part a, and there's the soft part you know
1: have you ever had a ground cherry
0: no i've never had one have you
1: yeah oh okay um, i i mean they're good mm. <laughs> just,
0: do they actually taste like pineapple or is that just hogwash
1: well i wouldn't say they taste like pineapple but they definitely don't taste like tomatoes or
0: right, tomatillos. right yes they just look like them this is what they said
1: Yeah, but um,
0: is it like a grape? Like, what what does it taste like?
1: uh, I don't know that I have a.
0: Is it really sweet, like a cherry, or is it like like a strawberry?
1: It's more. I guess it's like a cherry. It 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 is sweet, but I've only had them. I've never had them really fresh. I've only ever had them out of like the the. Latin markets around here and mm-hmm. I, I can't tell you that that's what they should taste like mm. I would I would liken it to maybe a, a really ripe um, persimmon
0: oh okay alright I actually do like persimmon
1: <laughs> me too as long as they're ripe enough
0: yeah alright
1: I, cool. I had a um, biology teacher I think I might have been in the 6th grade and he used to call me persimmon why? Because he said I was puckery and if you don't eat a persimmon when it's ripe, if it's too if it's too green, it'll like pucker up your mouth. Yeah. And I think he thought I my mouth always looked like that because when you think you actually screw your face up a little.
0: So you always giving him the screw face in class? And so he called you. Apparently. Mm-hmm. I, somehow I believe this. This sounds very believable.
1: He liked me very much he was I was one of his favorite students, but yet he would call me persimmon all the time
0: mm-hmm. looking at him like he's crazy. I could see it <laughs> but again it throughout this that's the thing throughout this whole article Gene splicing and manipulation and it's but what they're really doing it doesn't it, it's actually kind of innocuous, but I can imagine well, someone who doesn't know what this is about reading it and going, "Oh my God, they're making mutant fruit
1: well. I mean, we have lots of mutant fruit in the world. Yeah. Nectarines are my favorite thing in the world, and that's a mutant fruit.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> it's half peach and half plum. You know, we've been doing this for a long time, and you, you breed crops to get what you want. That's why, you know, all watermelons pretty much look the same these days. All tomatoes pretty much look the same because they've been bred to do certain things. Right. Right. And then when you get your hands on, you know, an heirloom tomato, you can't believe how it tastes because it's totally different than what you're used to. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, so we we've we've done this before. We're just much more efficient at it. Mm. Now, this is a little bit different because they are using some some. uh, Some DNA, which is well, as as a matter of fact, from what I can see. From the paper, because I can't see all of it, I'd have to pay for it, and I'm not really trying to do that. Exactly. <laughs> but um, it looks like they actually did use the genes from the ground cherry itself, so they didn't put any tomato genes in. Mm-hmm. They just figured out... We know a lot about the domestic tomato. They figured out this is the gene in the domestic tomato which does this, and we'll look at the gene in the ground cherry that does this and see if we can play around with it so that it gives us a better plant.
0: Right. And it worked.
1: So so something that would take maybe five or six seasons to do if you weren't using this sort of technology... It's probably just going to take, you know, a year or two for you to see if the fruit is any better.
0: Okay. I am looking forward to buying uh, ground cherries in the local giant. <laughs> I'm always for new fruit.
1: The, the interesting thing about this is if you read between the lines, this is not about we want we want to make the ground cherry better. If you pay attention, they're talking about mass production. So this is yes. big ag. This is big ag. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I'm looking forward to my uh, ground cherry jam, and my uh, ground cherry, you know, Kool Aid and fruit flavored beverages. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, all yes. that. Yeah, that's probably yeah. <laughs> Bring it on! I can't wait till they do it to um, the Yangmei. Have you ever heard of Yangmei? No. Okay. The I, I think you they're only found in Asia. And they're notoriously hard to uh, ship. Mm-hmm. And uh, they, sometimes they're in Australia. I think in Australia they call them yum berries. Mm-hmm. But it's... um. If you just look it up, you can see what it looks like. It's really hard to describe. Imagine if there was a raspberry. Imagine it deeper, darker red. Imagine it... Like three times bigger than the average raspberry, rounder, like a sphere. And, you know, those little compartments on this the little uh, pockets on the side of a raspberry. Mm-hmm. Imagine if they were really, really tiny and there's hundreds of them. That's kind of what a young may looks like.
1: OK, I'm looking at the yumberry. Yes. Which is the say they are big.
0: And they're fucking delicious. Oh, it my really? god, <laughs> They're so goddamn good. <laughs> and they only grow in the summer. And I was in China. And you can o- I could only find them in China. And I could only get them during the Yang Mei season. And they were fucking bomb. Oh my god. They were so good.
1: Well you can buy like, the seeds and try them.
0: It, apparently it won't grow here. Farmers have been trying for ages. Because they, they taste it as well. And it's like I can make a fucking killing. But uh-huh. it, just, it only grows. Like in certain regions. And I think it's just in Asia. Or just in the east, and oh my god, you talk about just going to the gr- the store or the local market and just buying like a pound of those and just ugh just eating the whole thing at once. So
1: that good, good, huh? Yes, okay.
0: they're oh, uh, so amazing. But uh, enough about food we can't eat.
1: <laughs> Not yet, anyway.
0: Well, yeah, maybe with some gene splicing, we can get them growing and we'll get, have them a giant, and they'll be like sour and barely edible. But whatever. Um, so. It's still 2018. <laughs> Animals are still sick of our shit. They're they're pl- I, I have a feeling they're plotting uh life and existence without us. They they see what's on the horizon. They see we're going to be gone and extinct in a in a while. They're they're already plotting you know what they're going to be doing while we're gone. And uh, you showed me this story, and that just confirms my belief. It says birds in Minnesota keep crashing <laughs> keep crashing into things. And police think it's because they're drunk. (laughs) Yep. So robins, cedar waxwings, and other birds in Gilbert, Minnesota are flying into windshields, bumping into trees, and overall looking disoriented. Police say there's no need to worry. The birds are just drunk. Because what else is there to do in Minnesota other than drink? (laughs) The town's birds aren't downing worm-flavored margaritas. Tetra believes that their confused state is the result of eating berries that have fermented earlier than usual due to an early frost. So climate change has made it so that the birds eating their normal natural snack in this particular season, in this particular region, though because the frost came early, they're starting to ferment and the birds are getting drunk. They're getting lit. Many birds have not migrated south, so it appears to be more prevalent than in past years. Younger birds' livers cannot handle the toxins as efficiently as more mature (laughs) birds, so they're getting laid out. I personally think this is not a matter of natural confusion. I think the birds know what's up, and they're just like, you know, if we just wait a couple extra months, dog, these these berries is litty. (laughs) That's what I think is happening. To believe that but
1: i think because of global warming they're not leaving
0: when they should mm-hmm. supposed to be flying south it says that the birds lose their coordination they lose their natural ability to escape predators including poor judgment when it comes to flying this sounds like <laughs> they're just fucked up and and not only that um so Anna Pigeon, associate professor at the University of Wisconsin, Department that's of Forest and Wildlife.
1: That's her name Pigeon.
0: Her name is Pigeon. She was born to do this. Uh, <laughs> Pigeon recommends that anyone who finds a woozy bird should put it in a dark, safe place, such as a shed or a cardboard box, until it recuperates and can fly without crashing into things. Nigga, that's a that, that's a drunk box. That's <laughs> like just put old Otis in the back of the jail cell till he sleeps it off.
1: See, I don't like birds. I really don't. Really? I, yeah, I have a, a childhood trauma.
0: Oh, okay. Uh,
1: <laughs> and I, I don't like birds at all. Okay, uh, it's been very difficult for me to do some of my research because it involved like turkeys at one point, <laughs> and I just
0: oh no, turkeys are assholes.
1: No, but I just don't like, I don't like birds very much. I'm okay. I've gotten to the point where I can stand like morning doves and stuff if they're not too close to me, mm-hmm. but I don't like birds. Okay. Drunk birds would be like my worst nightmare, just flying in the shit and knocking me over
0: and hitting me in the head. And No, that is horrible. What if that Hitchcock movie, The Birds, was just about violent drunks?
1: Yeah. Can you imagine if the birds, they'd all been drunk?
0: Exactly. The whole time. <laughs> that was the twist. He showed the tree in the background. We just didn't catch it birds were actually just violent drunks
1: you know we need to just make that movie
0: yeah just your, your drunk uncle uh bury the bird mm, mm, mm. i think that should but, be a plot it's... line on sesame street they give big birds and berries and he just starts acting funny and cussing out maria
1: oh no okay maria's <laughs> not on the show anymore
0: but <laughs> i don't even know who's the fuck's on the show anymore gordon's gone susan's gone maria's gone is Luis
1: still there no i think he might have died
0: what Luis died Oh shit!
1: I don't know. I I, I, no, I legit
0: Hooper's do not know. Oh, oh, Mr. Hooper died when I was a kid. He'd been dead. That nigga was, he was the first one. He was the first like childhood trauma for so many children.
1: Exactly.
0: Like he died and, and like everyone across the nation knew he died and it was like, but my kids watched that. Now everyone has to talk about death. Thanks, Mr. Hooper. <laughs> oh,
1: no, he's off. He's not dead. He's just off.
0: Oh, okay, so Luis is off. This. So who is left?
1: I don't know. I don't... Do you know how long it's been since I watched Sesame Street? Once I found out Elmo was, was uh, molesting little boys, I was done.
0: Well, but, but, that, that, not Elmo. <laughs> Elmo is not molesting children. Let's not put that rumor out there. The man with his hand up his ass is the one molesting children. <laughs> or was. Okay, fine. <laughs> actually, you know what I meant. Actually, it was teenage boys, but yes. If they're Look, if they're under 18 is mm-hmm. a boy, Okay, but yes, just just it's to clarify, don't man. you don't you put that evil on Elmo? <laughs> Elmo ain't never touched nobody. Now Big Bird, when he gets into the berries, you know, I don't know.
1: No trigger warning. We don't want
0: to talk about. That. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Okay, so yeah, they they said in the end, uh, there's no need to call law enforcement about the birds. They should sober up. With, so. Yeah, drunk birds. They're already planning uh, they're opening a bar as soon as the humans are gone. They're going to set up shop and they're going to start a lucrative alcohol industry for birds only.
1: Drunk birds.
0: I like how she said just pick them up off the street and put them in a cardboard box and let them sleep it off.
1: Yeah, That's, some white people shit. That's some as white people as shit. As much as I hate birds, <laughs> they, they lay in the street.
0: I like birds. I ain't touching a damn wild, dirty bird. How dare you? Not my job. Get off the but road, some- drunk.
1: Somehow some pigeons have figured out how to nest in our building. And so when I walk out the door to get on the shuttle every morning, I feel like I have a target on the top of my head. Yeah. And those are just pigeons. Can you imagine drunk pigeons?
0: Oh my god. Drunk pigeon shit <laughs> right? must smell egregious. Oh god. Oh my god. Uh, good thing they don't eat berries. They just eat what we eat. Burritos and muffins. <laughs> <laughs> That's why pigeons are fucking filthy. Ugh, I hate pigeons. I like birds. I fucking hate pigeons. Air rats.
1: Yeah, I think they need to bring in some... Somebody needs to find a, a couple of hawks or something and put them in this neighborhood. There
0: are hawks, you notice, right?
1: Well, no, we have some, but we don't have enough to get rid of all these pigeons.
0: No, but I mean, maybe you remember different. Um, But I, I mean, I grew up in D.C., Uh, for the most part. And I don't remember ever seeing hawks to the level that I see them now. Like, I see a lot of hawks. Mm. And I wonder if that is because of, like, pigeon populations. And, I mean, now we got chipmunks. I never seen any chipmunk growing up. Now I see a bunch of chipmunks.
1: I haven't seen any chipmunks. That's interesting.
0: You haven't seen chipmunks? Oh, I I saw my first... Not where I live. I saw my first... I guess you could call it wild, but it was in this fucking street. My first wild chipmunk, like, maybe three, four years ago. I was like, what the fuck is that? I, it's like it's not a mouse. It's not a rat. What is that? It's a fucking chipmunk.
1: Yeah, I, I can't say I've seen chipmunks here. A frog usually greets me every night when I get home.
0: Mm, no frog. We have a lot here. of frogs here. We got rabbits. So rabbits, they showed up like 10 years ago. The rabbits were like, what's up? So I started seeing rabbits. Then, oh come on!
1: You always had to have rabbits. There's you, rabbits everywhere.
0: Well, when okay, when you you might get,
1: not have been looking.
0: No, when you get down to like uh like Woodbridge, Virginia, yes, as you get down there, yeah, there there's always been rabbits. But in DC, there were no rabbits. Now nah, there's no, rabbits. Got
1: a lot of parks. How could you not have any rabbits in Rock Creek Park? Well,
0: yes, deep in the the Rock Creek Park, but now they're like in your driveway. Like, what the fuck is is that a rabbit? Just well, sitting if in you, the driveway. If you,
1: but if you keep building stuff, you're taking away their habitat. Of course, yes. you're going to see them.
0: No, I'm just saying that it's been a transition. Like those things, you did not walk down the street and see those animals, and now you do. I guess. And okay. I'm starting to hear people say that they're seeing foxes now. Just you know.
1: Oh, in, I see in their foxes backyard. all the time. They play on the on the um, on the Mark train tracks all the time. Yeah, I but, see foxes like every other morning, but, but that's you live on that's a not farm. New.
0: Yeah, you live on a farm though. That's normal.
1: I don't, okay, here we go. Anyway, my, my actually my favorite thing about the wildlife in DC is the color of the squirrels.
0: Oh yeah, we got black squirrels.
1: You have black ones. You have ones that look like they're they're like sable.
0: Like brown and gray.
1: No, no, no. Like somebody with dark red hair.
0: <laughs> oh, I haven't seen one of those yet.
1: Oh yeah, the the ones on on. Um, uh NIH's campus look like that hmm. but yeah the, the coloration of the squirrels in in dc just kills me i've never seen them look like that they're gray in pennsylvania they're gray in virginia but in dc you don't know what you're gonna get i'm waiting for polka dot ones any minute now
0: mm-hmm. i mean I they are it's, gorgeous it's got to be either their diet or maybe the types of trees that they hang out in
1: I don't know. The, the story I heard is that the black squirrels escaped from NIH. It was some sort of uh, what? Yeah, it was <laughs> a, like a long time ago in the 50s mm-hmm. that they were they were some sort of experiment.
0: Really?
1: Now, I don't know if that's true. That's what I've been told by, like, my advisor and her advisor. They, they could have just been teasing, you know, that sounds like
0: a HoTep theory. Well, it's except like the for black, none of my advisors, squirrel, except one have been black, I don't think they can be hotels. <laughs> they're like, the black squirrel was made in the lab. Like, okay. All right. Slow down there. All right. But no, that's that's what I've heard, that, mm-hmm. that the black ones in particular. Why the black squirrel got to be made in the lab? Why not the gray squirrel? Why can't he be made in the lab?
1: Not made in the lab. <laughs> it's an experiment. <laughs> Um, But, yeah, and I I find it really interesting because I think the ones across 355, what's the name of that street? Um,
0: 95? 395?
1: No, Rockville Pike. Oh, okay. Across Rockville Pike, because it's not easy to get over there, those squirrels don't look the same as the ones on the NIH campus. Hmm.
0: Which kind of makes sense. Yeah, they can't cross the highway, safely at least.
1: Yeah, they don't make it (laughs) that way.
0: They try, but it mm, won't go so well.
1: But although, yeah, different neighborhoods, they're different colors. That's amazing.
0: Yeah. I mean, it makes sense, though. When you're separated by highways and roads, it makes sense that they're almost like in their own little region.
1: Mm hmm.
0: Mm hmm. But yeah. Uh, I think we covered a lot today.
1: I I agree. Yeah. You don't want to talk about the elephants?
0: Mm, I'll save that for another day. But man. <laughs> Them elephants, th- those elephants are wilding the fuck out. <laughs> they are upset. I'm telling you, they, they yeah.
1: catch these, tucks? these, these catch tusks, these these
0: tusks. Yeah, catch these tusks. They're basically like the, it's like the warriors. The elephants are literally <laughs> hanging outside the village with the little bottles, like tink tink. <laughs> Villagers come out to play. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. So we'll talk about that next week. All right, that works. But yeah, you can catch us at uh, the Twitter uh, at, you know capital U K N O W molecules. And uh, you can find me uh, at P Funkin around on Twitter and let the people know where they can find you
1: at Cokie talks trash for non-science and at Cokie Negra. That's usually where I post the science. And by the way, you should be getting your flu shot by now.
0: Yes. Get your flu shot. Make sure you're registered to vote. Go do that. Both of those, that those, that's your homework for the fall. Yes, Yes. exactly. And we'll be reminding you weekly until it it, it becomes moot. (laughs) (laughs) But we'll catch y'all later. Thanks for joining us.